Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Gonna see if everybody's awake. Also, I'm related to this guy. <laughs> Through marriage, but still. It's awesome. Thank you, doll. That was beautiful, man. Church, how are you? You doing well? It's good to be with you all. It's a little different in here. I kind of like it. Do you like it? <laughs> um, it's going to be a fun little message here this morning, I hope, and I'm praying that God will speak to all of us this morning. And uh, the Spirit's already been moving in the worship, and I'm praying that the Spirit continues to move in our hearts. And so we've been in this series, Timeless. We've been talking about Luke's parables and kind of asking this question, what does the kingdom of God look like? And what does God look like? So we talked about some mustard seeds and some yeast, and last week Pastor Dave talked about the the shepherd and the lost sheep and all those kind of things. So we're continuing that, and we're going to be talking about the parable of the prodigal son this morning. And maybe you've heard this one. I think you have. And um, my, pr- my prayer is this, that we would hear it in a new light this morning, church, something fresh that the Spirit would lay on your heart with this powerful story this morning. So we're going to, we're going to jump right into there in just one moment. Luke 15, 11 through 32 is the text for the parable of the prodigal son. But first... I want to introduce you to a Hebrew word, if that's okay. And this Hebrew word is going to run throughout the entire message. And the word is this, radaf. Radaf. I think we have it on the screen here. Can, can you say radaf with me, church? Radaf. Radaf. Radaf is a Hebrew word that appears in the Old Testament, and it shows up in various places, and it means to pursue, to chase down, to, to, to run after. It's a type of following, but a very intense type of following, relentless pursuit. And I want to show you a few different places in the Old Testament where we see Radoff, and, and it'll help us with this morning's message. So the first one is in Numbers 35, 9 through 15. It's going to be on the screen here. Here we go. This is a little bit of a wild text, so hang with me here. Then the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. These six towns you give will be your cities of refuge. Give three on this side of the Jordan and three in Canaan as the cities of refuge. These six towns will be a place of refuge for Israelites and for foreigners residing among them so that anyone who has killed another accidentally can flee there. Interesting. Did you know that was in your Bible? What's interesting as well, too, is if you keep going in chapter 35 of Numbers, you will see all kinds of weapons and ways to kill people that are okay and not okay, and it's really crazy. Yes. Yes. Um, But I want to talk about this refuge city and avenger concept just real quickly. And so if you were to kill somebody at this time, and, and maybe it was accidentally, right, then they would be allowed to have an avenger. A family member would then be the avenger who could then chase you down and kill you unless you went to a refuge city, right, and got in the refuge city. Let's do a little example, okay? One of you, maybe you're mad at me. Maybe not. 
but you accidentally kill me, okay? And Shaylee is now my avenger. So she's going to hunt you down. She's going to pursue you. She's going to chase after you. But you're going to go into a refuge city, and you're safe in there. And so she's going to pitch a tent and wait for you because eventually you're going to have to leave the refuge city, and then, boom, she's going to be there to get you. Make sense? So this whole concept of, of, of having an avenger chasing someone down, pursuing them, waiting outside the city, this whole idea of, of never letting that person go is Radoff. 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 Another place that Radoff shows up is in Psalm 23. It's a little different text than we just read. You've probably heard this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes, me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful song, right, church? If you're ever struggling with anything, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 23. It's beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters and restores and refreshes my soul. Now, I want us to look at verse 6 really quick here. Surely your goodness and love, some translations say mercy, surely your goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, we read that, and, and, it, and, and many times we're like, that sounds beautiful. The, the Lord's goodness and mercy is going to follow us, like gently follow us all the days of our life. But here's the problem is the Hebrew translation of that word follow is radaf, radaf. So, so a better translation would be something like this for verse 6 of Psalm 23. Surely your goodness and love and mercy will chase me down all of my days. Surely your love and mercy and goodness will pursue me every day of my life. That's a better translation. How does that sound? Radoff. Radoff. Final place we'll stop for this word radoff is in Psalm 139, another really famous and, and powerful psalm. I'm not sure if we have that one on the screen, but here it is. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you, wow, it's powerful. The psalmist is wrestling with this idea of, man, I can't go anywhere without God. 
whether I'm going, whether I'm sleeping, whether I'm on the highest peak, right, climbing the highest 14 or or at Yosemite, and some of y'all know because you've climbed it, and you're like, yes, God is there. Or I can go to the depths of the seas. Some translations say the, the belly of Sheol, and God is there. Think Jonah and the whales. He's, he's in the belly of the fish, and he's get taken into the waters, the destructive deep waters. God is there. There's no place you can go where God is not there. He redoffs after us. He pursues us. He chases us down. Redoff. All right, you got redoff? Got it? Write it in your notes app on your phone. Put a sticky note on the fridge. Maybe schedule a tattoo in the next couple weeks to go get it, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That would be cool, though. That'd be cool. Okay. Redoff. Okay, now let's jump to the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 through 32. As you're kind of turning there, um, it'll be on the screen. Let's just do a little bit of context. And the context for chapter 15, and there's three parables, is the first two verses of Luke 15. Here it is. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious leaders couldn't understand why Jesus kept moving towards those on the margins, those who were broken, those who the culture had run over. Why was Jesus moving towards them and showing them grace? The religious leaders couldn't understand it, and so they were gossiping about Jesus and what he was doing. And then Jesus launches into three different parables. Uh, The first one is about a sheep that leaves the fold. One sheep leaves the, the hundred sheep fold, and the shepherd goes after that sheep. And then it's about a coin, a woman who loses a coin, and and she looks all over the house and, and she finds the coin. Now, church, I want us to ask this question when we're in Luke 15, and Pastor Dave preached on the shepherd and the coin last week, but when we're reading chapter 15, I want you to ask this question. What is God like? What is God like? Has anybody ever asked you that? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and people ask you about your faith or something. What what is God like? Do you have an answer for him? What is God like? I think the answer is found in chapter 15. What is God like? He's like a shepherd. And when we, just like sheep, leave the fold, the shepherd goes and gets that one sheep. He redoffs after that sheep, pursues the sheep, finds the sheep, and brings the sheep home. What is God like? Well, God, it, God is like a woman who has a, a group of coins, and she loses one, and, 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 and she turns over the house, looks everywhere, flipping over furniture, she-hulk status in the place, until she finds that one coin. And when she does, she throws a party, and they celebrate, because finding the coin was a big deal. What is God like? So I want you to continue to ask that question in Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is the third parable in this chapter, and it's kind of the culmination. Here we go. It's going to be on the screen here for you. And church, my prayer is that if, if you need to close your eyes because you have heard this so many times and maybe you need a fresh, just listen. You know, maybe close your eyes and listen to this parable or maybe you need to follow the words really closely on the screen. That's great too. Or maybe you have your Bible. Um, just that we could hear something fresh from this parable. It's pretty famous. Here it is. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a sinister of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they begin to celebrate. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and, and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. There we go. The parable of the prodigal. Son, there's three characters in this story, and we're going to go through each character. Uh, There's the younger son, typically called the prodigal son, the older son or the older brother, and then the father. We're going to begin with the prodigal son. Number one, the prodigal son. Who's the youngest siblings in here in your family? Youngest siblings, where are you at? Um, I'm a youngest sibling. I have a twin, but he was born 14 minutes before me. We're fraternal also. He's 6'1 and has super dark hair. Um, it's funny, people used to always like, they would never believe us when we said we were twins. Let me see the birth certificates. It's like, okay. Um, we don't look anything alike. I was the heel grabber twin, you know, um, for you Bible nerds out there. Um, youngest siblings, we're the fun ones. We are. Older siblings, where are you? Where are you? Right? Where are you? you guys are the responsible ones, right? Res- responsible ones. Just kidding, you are. And then all the middle, middle kids are like, man, everybody always forgets about us. We're always sandwiched in the middle. We get overlooked. So the younger son approaches his father, and I want to try to help us understand the gravity of this moment. He asks for his share of the inheritance. So he's basically saying to his father, father, you're dead to me. And I want to stop pretending like I care about you or I care about this family or I care about anything that's going on here because I don't. So give me my share of the inheritance and I'm out of here. And the crazy thing is, is the father gives him his share of the inheritance. 
Uh, And then what happens? Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He goes to a distant country. And we aren't given a specific place, right, because it's a parable, so a lot of times there's not specific details. But but he goes to a faraway place. The prodigal son pursues freedom. He pursues joy. He pursues all kinds of different things that he thinks he can't get at home, so he leaves the father's estate. Now, I want to ask us this question. What's our distant countries? What are our distant countries? countries, somewhere that that we believe if we would just get to, we would be fulfilled. We would have freedom. We would have immense joy. But the distant country is not something of God. It's something that pulls us away from God. What's your distant country? What's our distant countries? Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's a friend group. Maybe it's an addiction that you started out, you're like, man, I'm going to check this out. And before you know it, you are in this cycle of brokenness, and you're in the distant country, and you can't find your way out. And maybe even the distant country church for you this morning was something that was good originally, like it wasn't inherently bad, but now it's consuming your life, and it's taken the place of God in our life. And now it's an idol. That can even be a distant country. What's your distant country? And the next question out of that is is this. Does the distant country deliver on its promises? Will the distant country deliver on its promises? It promises a lot. The younger son took off to this distant country anticipating so much. And then what happened? Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's at the lowest place he's ever been. He's broken. He's been abused by the distant country. He's found chains, not, not joy, not purpose, not fulfillment. He's in chains. And, and, the, and Jesus is telling this in a Jewish context, right? So for this man to be among pigs and even thinking about eating the slop and stuff, it's the lowest place he could have been with an unclean animal. Broken. Alone. What's our distant countries? Do they deliver on the promises? Some of you have testimony to say, no, they don't. No, they don't. The distant country doesn't deliver on its promises. Then what happens? Verse 17, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set up and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Finally, the younger son is fed up with the lies of the distant country. He's sick of the chains And so he throws them down and goes back to the father. And he comes up with this little plan, right? He knows he's done so much wrong. And so he's like, I'll just just tell my father that I'm going to be a servant. Because even the servants in my father's house are treated so well. So he goes home. Church, some of us here this morning, we're the prodigal son in this story. We are. We're in the distant country. 
And, and, and it's time to come home. And my prayer for all of us, no matter where we are, is this is an awakening morning for you, a come to your senses type of morning. We've been in the distant country. I feel these chains, they're heavy. The brokenness surrounds me. Throw the chains down and head back home. Some of us in this room have heard this parable probably a hundred times or more. But if we're honest with ourselves, we are a little bit in the distant country. Something is going on in our life and there's a little bit of distant country involved and it's time for all of us to come home as well. It's time to throw down the chains and head back to our father's house. Um, One thing that's interesting with the younger son is he goes to the distant country and, and... and he has a choice. He has a choice to, to come home or not, right? And he chooses to come home. But the scariest thing for me as a, as a pastor, as a youth pastor working with young people, young adults, is that, is that people find themselves, young people, all people, find themselves in the distant country, and they don't come home. They figure out a way to manage all the brokenness and the sin, right, the sin management. They figure out a way to get through it, but they never come home to God who wants the very best for their life. And so my prayer for all of us is we would come home. Come home, don't wait. Jesus wants the very best for your life. And I'm praying for everyone here and all our young people that we would come home to the Father's house. And, and just like the younger son, sometimes we think we're not worthy. I've done too much in the distant country. Uh, the cycle of brokenness is too strong. And just like, the, the, just like the younger son, we come up with this plan in our head. Man, I'm going to go back, but I'll just be a servant. But what does the younger son find? He finds a father who is unbelievable and doesn't want him to just be a servant, but calls him back to be his beloved child. Number two, the father. The father in this story exudes strength, love, and status he has servants and a nice property, and right away we see that this father is different. The younger son wishes him dead, asks for his share of the inheritance, and the craziest thing happened, the father gives him that. I want you to imagine for a moment, church, your kid came up to you and said, hey, you're dead to me, give me my share of the inheritance. What would you do? You'd be like, get out of here, kid. Like, you're out. You're out of my house. Right? But the father in the story, he's unbelievable. He just gives him the share of the inheritance. Gives it to him. And the very next thing we see about the father is in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, he saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, now church, don't miss this, all right? While the son was still a long way off, he saw him. Scholars think that this, this sets up this idea that, that every single day the father would go to the edge of the estate and look out and wait and pray for his son to come home, long for his son. Every single day, that's what this sets up, is, is every single day the father would go out to the edge of the estate and pray for his son to come home. And we aren't given a specific time of how long the prodigal's gone, right? It's a parable, so it could be three weeks, probably much more than that. It could be three months, maybe three years, maybe 10 years. But every single day, the father goes to the edge of the estate, 
waits, longs for the son to come home. And finally, he sees him. The the father sees him, and he takes off, sprinting after him. Usain Bolt-type speed, right? And imagine, he's probably wearing like a robe, right? That was like a man of his status would have been wearing something nice. And so he lifts that up, and he's like exposing himself. It's kind of a crazy scene, but he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's going to get his son. And he embraces his son. And the son's trying to get out. "Uh, Dad, you know, I've sinned against you. I'm just going to be a servant. And the father immediately throws a robe on him and puts a ring on his finger, which, which signifies sonship. Not a servant. You're not staying in the servant's quarters. You're my son. And then they go throw a party (laughs) because this son of mine was lost. And now he's found. Church, what is God like? He's like a father who goes to the edge of the property and looks out for you, waits for you, longs for you to come home, prays that that you would turn and come home to be with God. What is, what is God like? He's like a God who goes to the edge of the estate and waits for your kids, your grandkids, your friends, and longs for them to come home. And when they come home, they won't find guilty, shame, none of that. They'll find a loving father who embraces them and says, I don't care what you've done. You are loved. You're my beloved child. The grace of God is unbelievable. Church, I hope you see that in this story. It's so massive and beautiful. Uh, Number three, the older brother. The older brother or the older son. Sometimes we uh, skip this part of the parable. And we can't because many times, I would argue this, is that most of us in the church are the older brother in this story. Uh. The older brother is resentful, bitter. He cannot grasp the grace of the father. He says, Father, I've done everything for you. I've been here working. I've followed the rules. How can you celebrate this son of yours? He doesn't even call him brother. How can you celebrate this son of yours? You never celebrated me. What does this sound like? It sounds like the context of of these three parables in Luke 15. Verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious leaders had the same resentment and bitterness as the older brother. They couldn't understand the grace of Jesus moving towards those. Just like the older brother couldn't understand the grace of the father in this story. And really, this parable should be called the the parable of the lost sons. Because one son is lost in the distant country, living crazy, and the other son is lost at home in resentment and bitterness and pride. He knows the father. He lives with him, but he's missed the grace. He's missed the grace. Now, what if this parable was different? Hang with me on this, okay? But what if this parable was different? Everything in the beginning happened the same. The younger son wishes his father dead, takes off for the distant country after getting his inheritance. But then a, a servant goes into the field and finds the older brother and says, hey, hey, your, your, little, your little brother's gone. He was saying all this stuff and took, took the money from your dad and took off to the distant country. I don't know where he went. And what if at that moment the older brother said to himself, hey, I'm going to go find my brother. I'm going to go find him. 
I'm going to go Radoff after him. I'm going to go pursue him. And so he does. The older brother gets up and goes, and he's searching from town to town. And, he's, and he's, in his mind, he's thinking, man, I'm just going to remind him of the father's house and the love that we experience there and all this grace. So I'm going to find him. And so he's going from town to town. And finally, he gets to this town, and he goes to the pig pen, and there's his little brother in the slop, broken, alone, abused by the distant country. And he helps him up. He says, hey, we got to go back to dad's. We got to go back to the father's house, man. Come on. And he helps him up. And then can you imagine the scene of the father at the edge of the estate, looking out, waiting, longing, praying. And sure enough, there's the younger son. But in this alternate ending, in this alternate ending, the, the, older, he's, the older brother is helping the younger son down the road. And the, and the father goes out to them, embraces both of them. And then they're both in the banquet hall parting. And the brother's not outside, wondering about the grace of the father. That would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. That's who I want us to be in this story, church, is the, is the older brother who goes after his little brother. Not one who is living with the father, but missing the grace. And then in return, right, not being instruments of his grace. Because I think, and I want to push just a little bit here. I think that some of us have gotten way too comfortable at home, at the father's house. When there is people we know, friends, family, who, who need us to go redoff after them, to pursue them, to chase them down with all of God's goodness and mercy. To go into the distant countries and search for people. And pick them up off the ground. And they're going to have to make their own choice. Absolutely. But we are just pleading with people. Hey, I know this God. He's unbelievable. His grace is greater than anything you can ever understand or imagine. All right. I want to invite the band back up. I have a pastor friend who says, if you've listened well, and then he gives like a little recap of the sermon. That's what I'm going to do. If you've listened well. Um, God redoffs after us. He pursues us. He chases you down with his mercy and love. And friends, we don't have a choice. Just like Psalm 139, where can I go? I can go to the highest heavens or the, or the lowest places in the earth, to the depths of Sheol. God is there pursuing us, redoffing after us, waiting, longing at the edge of the property, waiting for us to make that decision. And out of that, because of his amazing grace extended to us, we come home, and then we redoff after God. We pursue him with all we have, chase him down. And out of that, after we've experienced the grace of God, and many of us in this room have it, maybe some of us, many in this room, many of us in this room have, and some of us maybe have it, but out of that experience of God's amazing grace, we then redoff after other people. We pursue them, chase them down, invite them to the party that's going on in the kingdom of God. God redoffs after us. We redoff after God, and then we redoff after people. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray and we'll respond in worship. God, thank you. Thank you for... Uh, it's an awesome morning. 
looks a little different in here, but that's okay. The same spirit is here. It's here every single week. And my prayer is that you're moving in the hearts of your people, God. Would you speak to us through this powerful and, and famous parable? God, may we know deep within our hearts, deep within our, our bones and our soul that you are a God who pursues us, who chases us down, who redoffs after us. And God, in response, we then redoff and chase after you. And out of that, we then go out of this place sent as your ambassadors in a broken world, pursuing other people, God. Would you send us to be your ambassadors, Lord Jesus? We love you. Thank you so much for this time, Jesus. Thank you so much for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.